All right. Well, again, welcome to Big Valley. Welcome to all of you over in the venue. If you're watching online, we're grateful you're with us. I know we're having some trouble with our online feed, but we'll, we'll, we'll get it figured out. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 6, okay? John chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible here today, all the verses will come up here on the Jumbotrons. I think all of them are inside your notes. And if you're here and you don't own a Bible, okay, all you have to do is go into the altar room here, the altar room over in the venue, and we'll give you your own copy that you can have and read and underline and highlight and do all the things uh, that you want to do to your own copy of the Word of God. Uh, if you are visiting, we're in a series where we're just kind of walking through the book of John together, the gospel of John together as a church family. And today we're going to look at what many people consider the greatest miracle Jesus ever did, and that was the feeding of the 5,000. Now, it was probably way more than 5,000. We're told in the story there were 5,000 men. And usually where you got you know, 5,000 men, you can probably pretty much count on 5,000, you know, women, their, their wives, and then you can tack on probably another 5,000 at least children. So this is really the feeding of 15,000, and uh, I think there's some things we can learn from this, from this story, this miracle. But I want to tell you about another miracle that happened last night as I was actually right here preaching the Word of God. My uh, father-in-law has been in a wheelchair for the last 20 years, and um, last night a miracle happened. He literally, as I was preaching, he got up out of that wheelchair, and he walked right into the arms of Jesus Christ last night. It was unbelievable, unbelievable. And he has uh, been a part of our church family for a, a long, long, long time, and many of you have been praying for him over the years. And uh, last night was, uh, you know, in Acts, it tells us, uh, it says this about King David. It says, King David fulfilled God's purposes in his life, and then he died. And that's the testimony of all of us that follow the Lord. We, we serve at God's pleasure, and then when, when we're done, whenever he's done with us, then we die, and that's it. We go be with the Lord in glory forever. And uh, last night, uh, like King David of old, um, Brian took his last breath. His purpose on this planet was over with, and he's now in glory. So please keep the family in your prayers. Uh, Peggy, his wife, and Aaron, and, and Brent, and the family, all the grandkids, and, and, and everybody. That, that would be... Uh, appreciated. So let's read our story together. Let's look at the Word of God uh, together, okay? John chapter 6, look at verse 1, okay? After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. In other words, uh, th this crowd of people that was following Jesus weren't true believers, okay? They were simply following Jesus because he, he did some miracles, or they were following him because of something they might get out of it, something they might receive from, from Jesus. Verse 3, 
Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a large crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip replied, even if we worked for a month or for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. In Luke's gospel, we're told that the disciples basically gave Jesus the advice of just sending the people away. Okay. By the way, this is the only miracle that's recorded in all four gospels. This is a story that God wanted to make sure that we would read and remember and study over and over again. Verse eight, then Andrew, Simon uh, Peter's brother spoke up, hey, there's a young uh, a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slope. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Now in Mark's gospel, we're given a little bit more detail about what happened at that moment. Jesus tells the disciples to put them in groups of 50 and groups of 100. And so now, you know, somebody's going through the crowd, getting groups of 50, hey, get, getting groups of 100. The Bible tells us that the God that we serve is a God of order. And we're seeing that even in this miracle here. Verse 11 says, then Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks to God and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish and they all ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, everyone was full. Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that Nothing is wasted, so they picked up the pieces and filled the 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. And when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet that we've been expecting. All throughout the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis 3 or maybe even Genesis 12 is probably more accurate, God had promised that he was going to send a Messiah. He was going to send a Savior. Sin had, had messed up the image of God in, in Genesis 3. And you go through the 39 books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, uh, Deuteronomy. You go all the way through the book of Malachi and all the prophets. Every one of those books is about the idea that God was going to send a Savior and so here are all these people, this 15,000, you know, strong group of people, and they're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe that's the guy. Maybe that's the guy that all the prophets talked about. Maybe that's the guy we've been waiting for or expecting. So what do we learn from this story? What are some truths with a capital T that we can learn? Well, I think there's lots of things. I'm gonna give you just a couple. And it's my hope that somehow as we look at these, these scriptures together, we remember what God's word said that somehow it'd be a real blessing to you, okay? So the first thing I wanna point out is this, is that Jesus saw the problem 
before the disciples did. And that may seem sort of benign, like what's the big deal about that? But it really is pretty weighty. Look at verse one again. It says, after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. And now drop down to verse five. Soon Jesus saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Jesus saw the problem long before the disciples did. There's this huge crowd, they're in a remote location, and there's nothing to eat. And Jesus saw it. He, he, he knew that there was a situation brewing on the side of this mountain. He knew it. It didn't catch him off guard. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter four, nothing in all creation is hidden from God, nothing. As he was sitting on the side of that mountain that day, he knew there was a problem. He knew there was a situation. You've got 10,000 adults plus all of these children that didn't have any food. There's no McDonald's nearby. Can't get a taco truck there. There's not a Domino's hotspot. He knew about this problem. Psalms 147 says, our Lord is great and very powerful. There is no limit to what he knows. Amen. Beloved, as a reminder to us, God is all knowing. You know, we can go through the week and we can do our Bible studies and all different kinds of topics found in the scripture and we can forget about some of the great truths that are found in, 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 the, in the Bible. And one of them is this idea that God is all-knowing. There's no limit to what he knows, which means he knew about the problem on the side of that mountain that day. He knew about it. He knew about it before anybody else. Now with that said, he knows everything you need also. He knows about all the things you need long before you even know you need them. He knows about all the things your family needs long before you even know you need them. Maybe you walked in here today and you know, life is pretty good. You got yourself a decent job, you make a decent living, got a nice apartment or home you live in, got a car that runs, got clothes in the you know, closet, got plenty of food to eat, things are going pretty good, and you walked in here today really with no needs. Well, here's the deal. Tomorrow's a new day. <laughs> and he already knows what's coming that you don't know that's coming. He already knows about what's gonna happen in your life or in your family or in your career or in your business if you own one long before you ever figure it out? 
They might be financial needs. They might be spiritual needs, social needs, emotional needs, health needs, whatever. God's aware of every need in your life because he's all-knowing. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't they more, more, far more valuable to him? And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why do you worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God who cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, man, what am I gonna eat or what am I gonna drink or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. He knows all of your needs. He knew the needs of the people that were there that day on the side of that mountain. He knows. Now what should our response be to this truth? that he knows. The fact that God knows all your needs, your response should be to quit worrying and start praying. That's what your response should be. You see, when you have your mind on all of your needs, you tend to worry a lot, or, or I'll just use me, I, I tend to worry. And all worry does is goof me up, literally physically. When I start to think about all my, my, my needs and all the things that are going on in my life, man, just give me a bottle of Tums, you know, because my stomach gets all goofed up, really. Or I'm, you know, popping Tylenol because I get a headache. When I'm worried about all the needs going on in my life, my, my back gets stiff, I, I can't sleep very well at night, literally, physically, I get all goofed up when I worry. But all the needs in my own life, the, the needs of my, my family, the needs of my church family, the needs of all the stuff. In Philippians chapter four, God tells us this, family. Don't worry about anything. Really? worry about anything. Instead, here's what you do. When you're all goofed up and you're worried about all the needs in your own life or the needs of your family or your business or your career or whatever all that is, here's what you do. You pray. Talk, talk to God. Tell him everything that's going on. Tell him all the stuff you need. Now, he already knows it anyway, but there's something that happens within our souls when we just quietly get alone with God and we talk with him. I, 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 something happens. 
I think Jesus really wanted Philip to do this. Hey, Philip, just feed all these folks. <laughs> what are you talking we, we can, we, you know, we'd have to go to work. And, then, and even if we had all the money, you know, what are we going to do? Where are you going to get food for all these people? The disciples, oh man, they're all worried. Hey, why don't we just send them all away, you know? I think all Jesus wanted him to do was talk to Jesus about it. Jesus, what? This is impossible. There's no way we could, we could do this. We're gonna leave that in your hands. You're the boss. I think Jesus would have gone, nice job. You're getting it, son. But he doesn't. Oh, oh. Now, I will tell you that I'm an expert at, at phase one. I know how to go to God and pray. I, I talk with God often about all the stuff going on in my life. I'm good at that. I'm good at taking all the stuff of my wife and going, my kids, going to the Lord. I, I'm good at getting the prayer cards and talking to God about all the things that are going on in your life. But that's only, that's only half the story. The other half is God says, here's what I want you to do. When, when you're all kind of nervous and you're all worried about all the stuff going on in your life, I want you to talk to me about it. But there's a second part, and that is be thankful. Thank me for all that I've done. That I'm not very good at. I'm just straight up with you. I'm great at the first part. Man, I can go to God and talk to God about all kinds of things. It's the second part where you stop and go, okay, Lord, I wanna thank you that um, you opened my eyes to the truth about my sin. That you opened my eyes to the truth of the consequence of sin. That you drew me to yourself. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you for sending your son to live such a beautiful life for me, a perfect life for me. Thank you. Th thank you that your son went to a cross and voluntarily died on that cross for me. Thank you, God, for leaving me the, the word because without this, there's no way I would know anything about your son. Thank you. Thank you, God, for the fact that, you know, never once in my 57 years have I ever gone hungry. I can't remember one time I didn't have food to eat. Never, not once. Not one time. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God, that I've always had clothes to wear. Always. And not just one pair of clothes. I, I got three shoes. I got a nice pair of shoes. I got a kind of a medium kind of pair of shoes. And I got a pair of sneakers. And I got to make a choice every day. What, what shoes am I going to wear? Thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God, that I got a roof over my head. Never once, never one time have I ever worried about, man, do I gotta sleep down by the river? Do I gotta, you know, put a tent over my, I mean, never once. Thank you, God, for always meeting that need in my, my life. See, what happens what is, after you get done telling him about all your needs that he knows about anyway, Something then begins to happen when you go, okay, I'm done with that, but now I just need to sit and remember. Remember the things that you've done for me already. 
And all of a sudden you start rattling off a few things and it kind of changes your whole outlook on life. You know, hey, you know, I got pretty good. This is pretty good. And all of a sudden I'm not worrying anymore because I'm remembering this God who has met so many of my needs as it is already. And when you do this, when you pray and you thank God, then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Hey, look, I can pop a bunch of Tums and eat a bunch of Tylenol, and I, I can do that. And it masks the stuff, the physical you know, things that come out when I'm worried, but I'm still goofed up in here. I may not have a headache anymore. My stomach may not be upset, but I'm still goofed up. And God says, Rick, I don't want you to do that. I already know about all your needs. I knew about them long before they ever popped into your mind. This is what I want you to do. Just come to me, talk to me. Be thankful and I'll give you peace. Peace. Philip's sitting right next to the Prince of Peace. And he's all worried. He's all goofed up. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago that all the guys basically were there when Jesus turned water into wine. And yet they've forgotten about that. And that's what happens to us. We forget. And that's one of the beautiful things about coming to a church service is this is a moment when we remember through the preaching of his word what God has said. We remember the great truths of God through the singing of songs. We need to be reminded of these things because we have the tendency to forget at times. So the first point I'm, I'm, I'm making is this, is that Jesus saw the problem long before anybody else saw it because he's all-knowing. Number two, Jesus included the disciples in finding the solution to the problem. In other words, he, he wanted them to take some responsibility in this. Look at verse five. Soon Jesus saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him, turning to Philip. He asked, hey, where are we gonna buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was gonna do. And Philip replied, even, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to, to feed them. And I just think this is really interesting that Jesus already knew what he was gonna do because he's all knowing. But he includes Philip in on this. He includes the disciples in on this problem. And I thought a lot about this. And I, I think there were a number of reasons why. Let, let, let me give you three reasons why I think Jesus includes Philip or the disciples in this. N number one, Jesus wanted these men to care about these people's needs. I mean, here they were on this mountainside, all gathered together. There's men and women and little kids running around. I'm sure these guys probably thought to themselves, you know what, man, we're, we're golden. We're with the boss, man. We got our dinner covered, maybe. 
And they didn't care about anybody else. No, no compassion. None of that. And I think, I think Jesus wanted these guys to engage in this thing. He wanted them to care. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked a, a question. Jesus, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And a lot of scholars think he's talking about the, the, the 10 commandments, you know, Exodus uh, chapter 20. Number one, no other gods. Number two, don't make for yourself an idol. Number three, don't misuse the name of the Lord. Number four, hey, hey, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, have a day that's kind of special and unique to, to, to God and for God. N number five, honor your mother and your father. N number six, don't commit murder, don't do that, life is precious. N number seven, don't commit adultery. Number eight, don't steal. Number nine, don't lie. Number 10, don't covet, don't envy. In other words, be grateful for what you do have. But there are other scholars who think when, when Jesus said that, or when, the, when this person asked Jesus the question that it wasn't just the 10 commandments, that law, but it was all of the laws. But in either case, Jesus, without hesitation, replied, here it is, here's the most important thing. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first, and it's the greatest commandment. There's nothing greater that you will do with your life than to love him more than anything else. You love him more than your spouse. You love him more than your kids. You love him more than your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You love him more than your parents or your grandpa. You know, you're, you're to love him more than anything else. Love your spouse, love your kids, love grandpa, do all that, nothing wrong with that. But your love for God, and when I say love for God, it's a two-sided coin. You can't say love for God and leave out love for, for his word. They kind of go together. He says, that's the greatest thing you can do for your life. And that's what the kid asked. What's the number one thing? But Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. I want to give you number two. I know you didn't ask for number two, but it's important I tell you what number two is. Because Jesus says it's equally important. And that is this, that you would love others the way you love yourself. And if you do those two things, if you love God above all else and you love others the way you love yourself, you've fulfilled all the law. You could take any of the Old Testament prophets, all the prophets, uh, Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Noah and all the prophets, you, you put all the stuff that they said, you boil it all down, and if you've loved God and you've loved others, you've fulfilled the whole thing. Now I want you to understand something. When Jesus said you're to love others the way you love yourself, that's not some weird narcissistic love, you know, ooh, I love me, I'm so beautiful. Oh, I love you, you're great, you're wonderful. You're... That is not what he's talking about. It's the last thing we need is feed our flesh. What he's saying there is this is you loved yourself so much this morning that you met a need that you had. You were hungry. 
And so you made some cereal or you, you, you made a bagel and ate it. You had some eggs and some toast or you know, whatever it was, pancakes. You loved yourself to the degree that you met a need that you had in your life. In a little bit, we'll leave here and you loved yourself so much, you're gonna meet a, that same need again. You're gonna go have lunch, you're hungry. And you love yourself so much, you're gonna meet that need in your life. And there's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus says, look, the second greatest commandment is, is you have to love other people the way you love yourself. In other words, you fed yourself. Do you care about those that have no food? Or all you care about you? You see, God wants us to care about others. That's why we have a great ministry here called you know, Good Sam, and we as a church family and our giving and our praying have Good Sam, and over 300 new families every month are served out of Good, Good Sam. We give them food. That's why we care about uh, the gospel mission, and we give lots of money to the gospel mission, and we help the gospel mission. We, we get tennis shoes for kids that don't have things. Nothing wrong with making sure you've got tennis shoes. Nothing wrong with that. But you can't, you can't stop there. You have to love others the way you love yourself. And I think this is maybe the primary thing that Jesus is trying to teach these guys. Look, look at all these people. Hey, I get it. Okay, you don't care about those two adults down there, but what about that little five-year-old? You don't care about them? You want me to send them away? You got an excuse and you just don't have any money? And come on, guys. We gotta care and have compassion for those uh, around us. But number two, they kind of go hand in hand, is Jesus wanted these men to be more aware of the people's needs. <laughs> I just, I don't know, I, maybe it's just me. I can get so busy doing things, good things, holy things, that I just, I just miss the needs of others that are around me. I'm not aware of them. I'm so busy doing something, I'm so busy. I'm mad, I'm busy memorizing scripture. But I just, I just miss people, God's people, people made in the very image of God who need somebody to show them compassion. They need someone to love them, care for them, maybe even meet a need in their life. And I think these guys were on the hill and they're all there having a great time. They're looking at all these people and they don't even think about it. They're not even thinking about it. I don't think Jesus wanted them to think about it. And number three, Jesus actually wanted these guys to have a role in solving the, the people's needs. I, I was thinking back through some of the great stories in Scripture in the Old Testament, especially some of the miracles and other things. And you always tend to find God working through somebody, a person. God could have taken care of Goliath. He didn't need the Israeli army to take care of Goliath. He didn't need a little boy named David to come and take care of Goliath. But he waited until a little boy came down and sees this giant down there, picks up a couple of stones. And I just think God dug that. I think God was going, wow, that's unbelievable. 
And it didn't even matter what direction the rock went. Goliath's over there, woo! I'm gonna tell you, wind would've came up. God was gonna make sure that rock hit the guy right where it needed to hit him. It wasn't about the kid, it was just God going, dude, that guy's giving it a shot. Everybody else is sitting on their duff doing nothing but complaining and griping. This kid's willing to do something. I was thinking about Noah building the ark. I just think God just dug that. This guy's building an ark out in the middle of nowhere. There's not a body of water within 100 miles. He's building an ark. Took him 150 years. <laughs> he could have got done with that and there could have been holes in the thing. It didn't matter, man. That thing was going to float. <laughs> because God was just going, dude, that is unbelievable. Thank you for honoring me. I was thought about, you know, Joshua and the walls of Jericho coming down. I'd have given anything to be there that day. Here's this, here's the General Schwarzkopf of his day. <laughs> General Patton. All right, God, what's the plan? How are we gonna get in? I got my guys with the battering rams ready to go, man. What are we gonna do? I got SEAL Team 6. We're gonna blow the doors off the thing, right? No, here's what we're doing. You're gonna walk around the thing and then camp out tonight. Okay, how about day two? You're gonna walk around it again and just camp out, chill, relax. What? How about day three? Same thing, day four, same thing. On the seventh day, we'll change it up a little bit. You're gonna walk around it seven times, and on the seventh time around, here's what I want you to do. I want you to yell. <laughs> that, that's the plan? And I think God just dug it that Joshua went back to his soldiers and said, hey, here's the plan. <laughs> and God goes, man, I'm gonna blow these guys' minds. I was thinking about Elijah, you know, uh, killing the 400 false prophets of Baal. And you start to look at some of the great stories in Scripture, and God could have done anything he wanted, any time he wanted. He didn't need anybody. But it's interesting how he, he includes people. And I think that's what God's doing here. He, he's trying to include these people. Second Chronicles chapter seven says this, if my people, and the key word here is if, who are called by my name, if they'll humble themselves, if they'll pray, if they seek my face, if they turn from their wicked ways, then, in other words, the people, when that was written, they had a role to play. Hey, here are the things I need you to do. Now, I don't really need you to do them because he can do anything he wants. But he says, no, I'm gonna include you. You gotta humble yourself. You gotta seek God. You gotta turn from evil, live holy. In other words, you gotta live a life that's surrendered to God. These are all the conditions that God is looking for before he answers any prayers that we might pray. In other words, we all have a, a role to play. Listen to what our brother James said. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it'll be given to him. But when you ask, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man... The one who really doesn't believe, but he's praying, should not think he will receive 
anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. That's just brutal. God says, I want you to believe. When you pray, I want you to believe. Let me ask you a question. Is, is faith believing that God can do something? Hey, pastor, I believe God can do it. Is that faith? No, that's not faith. When you believe that God can do something, that's just a fact. God can do whatever he wants, whether you believe it or not. Is faith believing that God might do it? Hey, pastor, I believe God might do it. No, that's not faith either. Faith is believing that God will do it. That's faith, not believing that God can do it, not believing that God might do it, but believing that God will do it. In other words, that's your role, Christian, is you gotta believe. Maybe you're facing something huge right now. Maybe you need a miracle. Do you believe? Do you really believe? Look, I got up here last night and I believed that my father-in-law was gonna be healed. I believed it. I believed it. I mean, I believed it. You know anybody who was around me, I believed it. And literally when I walked off this platform last night, I was told he's in the presence of the Lord. Now, did I get angry with God? No, why would I get angry at God? Well, you, you believed and it didn't go the way you wanted. You're right, it didn't go the way I wanted. I'm not God. It went the way he wanted. But that doesn't mean I didn't believe. And that doesn't mean I won't believe for the next go round for one of you or somebody else in my family, I don't know. It doesn't stop me from believing. I'm always blown away at believers. Ah, oh, you know, I didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted to answer and I'm not praying anymore. Well, that's just idiotic. That's just weird. Why would you do that? Obviously, you don't know much about this book and what God has to say about himself. Here's the bottom line. When, when, when Jesus asked Philip, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? <laughs> the solution to the problem was sitting right next to him. But he's so worried. He can't even think about it. Worrying is the opposite of faith and it just never solves anything. It just makes problems worse. So, so Jesus saw the problem or the need long before anybody else did because he's all-knowing. And then Jesus included the disciples in figuring out the solution to the problem. And then number three, Jesus takes whatever we give him and then he does the rest. This is good, this is good news here. This is good news, Christian. Look at verse eight. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Hey, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. Somehow, this boy had made his way up the side of the mountain and he's next to the disciples and he hears what's going on. He, he hears Philip, ah, we need money. We don't have the money. We don't even have the money. Where are we gonna get the food? Hey, let's just send everybody away. And he hears, he hears all the pastors and the elders, you know, if you will. Oh, well, we don't know what to do. I got a sack lunch. <laughs> and I think he probably said it loud enough to where, you know, it had to be addressed. Hey, hey, uh, Billy here's got a sack lunch, but you know what? Uh, it wouldn't even feed me. 
How's he gonna take care of all these people? And Jesus says, give it to me. Have the people sit down. Now that had to be a weird moment. All right. Anyway, everybody, you need to get in groups of 50. You need to get in groups of 10. And it's going around. And they're all there watching Jesus with a sack lunch in his hand. That's all he had. To me, this little boy is the hero of the story. He, he brought his lunch, these five little barley loaves and two fish to the party, and he gives it to Jesus. And Jesus takes what he gives him, and he does the rest. Now, I want to point out something super important. This little boy gave Jesus everything he had. He didn't give what he didn't have. He gave him everything he had. He gave it all. He had five barley loaves, which is basically just little pieces of bread, and he gave two fish. They were basically probably little sardines. Wasn't much, but it was everything he had. This boy didn't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm going to tithe on my sack lunch. I'll give you 10% of the uh, bread, and I'll give you 10% of the fish. He didn't do that. I'm, I'm sure he was hungry too. His dad's probably out there saying, Jimmy, you know, what are you doing? It's late, home's long, what do you got? My kid, he's out of control. Tell you, he never listens to me anymore. He's giving away our lunch. <laughs> this, this kid gave it all. And to me, this was super impressive. In fact, it reminded me of another person in the Bible who gave everything they had. In Mark chapter one, it says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. They're, they're receiving their offering. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. In a modern day context, imagine two pennies, if you will. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, hey, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. This is so important to Jesus. He's watching this go down because he knows everything. He calls his guys over and he says, hey, listen, you're impressed by that big stack of money that guy just put in there. I'm not impressed with that. I'm impressed with this woman because she gave everything she had. You see, it's, it's never equal giving. Some of you make way more money than I do and I make way more money than some of you do. If, if Bill Gates was a member of our church, nobody could outgive him. The issue is never, you know, equal giving. It's, it's equal sacrifice. Well, we're all sacrificing for the cause of, of Christ. And let me just tell you something. We don't know what happened to the woman, but I know enough about the God who's revealed between these two leather-bound covers that I can make a pretty good guess what happened that day. <laughs> that lady walks out of the church. She gave everything she had. You think she somehow got lunch somewhere? Probably. You think she probably got dinner that night somewhere? 
Yeah, I think so. God knew. God knew she had given, given everything she had, and I have no doubt that God took care of this woman. Never underestimate what God can do through ordinary people with limited resources just given to him in faith. God cares way more about your availability than he does your ability. God, the Bible says that God chooses the, the, the foolish things in this world to confound the wise. He, he uses ordinary people. He, he uses a, a woman who's got nothing. He uses a boy who's got a sack lunch. I, I remember, look, here, here's it. Let me just say that as a pastor, there's a whole lot of guys in, in our own church, staff members, and, but in our town certainly, who are way smarter than I am. Way smarter than I am. And uh, I've had a lot of people in this church let me know that. <laughs> and I wear it as a badge of honor to be straight up with you. Whole lot of people in this town that are way wiser than me. Whole lot of people in this town that have a whole lot more gifts than I have. Whole lot more strengths and way less weaknesses than I have. But here's the deal. When I gave my life to Christ, I said, Jesus, I'm available. I knew I was a sinner. I knew where I was going. And I knew I had only one hope, and that was Jesus. And if you'd save me, Jesus, I'll do whatever you want with my one life. Whatever. I'll do whatever. Let me ask you a question. What, what, what are you holding back from God? God, I'll give you everything I've got, except for this relationship. I really love this guy. I really love this gal. God, God, I'll give you everything I, I, I got, except for my career. Look, I gotta stay here in Modesto because I really love the job I've got. I really love my career. So this is Zimbabwe thing, and I ain't going there, but I'll give you everything else I got. I'm just gonna hold back a little bit. God will give you everything I got except for yeah, my money or my time. What is it that you know God's saying, just give it to me, give it all to me. And let me tell you something. When you do, it's scary. I have no doubt when that gal threw those two pennies in that thing and she walked out with nothing. She's human. She had to go, okay, now what? I have no doubt that this boy, Jesus took the lunch and he knew where he lived. Wow, I got no food. There's a scary moment, but let me just tell you, man, buckle your seatbelt. You willing to give, you give God everything. I'm gonna tell you right now. He'll blow your mind. Now here's the, let me wrap it up. I'm gonna give you a bonus thought. I don't think it's in your notes, okay? One, one last bonus thought. Number four, Jesus blows the disciples' minds. Look at verse 12. After everyone was full, <coughs> it was, they didn't get like little appetizers. You know, like those little tiny carrots. You know, I, who, who thought of that? It's like, or those little corn on the cob. I mean, who, who wants that? Nobody wants that. It looks impressive and you pick it up, but you gotta stand there for about 30 minutes 
and eat like 12 of them just to get some feeling in your gut, man. It's weird. This wasn't everybody got a little, you know, nibble. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, no, go gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. So, so here are all these people. Man, they've all been fed a great meal. Great meal. Now in the next couple of weeks, we're gonna see that Jesus is the bread of life. He has a different kind of bread. He'll fill you differently, right? Man lives bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, but he's taking care of a need. I got the feeling he gave one of those baskets to that little boy. And that little boy's going down the side of the mountain and he got home and, hey dad, I heard you yelling at me. We got bread for a week, maybe a month. Who knows how much was in there? Everybody's full. The, the disciples, what's gonna happen next? Next week, Lord willing, we're gonna look at the guys getting on a boat. They get on a boat and they go out in the middle of the Galilee. I have no doubt that the guys took some of that and they got on the boat and I would have loved to have had a microphone in there. Okay, guys, I just wanna make sure I saw the same thing you saw. Okay. <laughs> he, he took that sack lunch, right? Yeah. There wasn't a Panera truck packed, you know, Parked somewhere back there, was there? No. And he did that prayer thing. And the next thing you know, everybody was fellowshipping in these groups and talking. And their needs were met. Wow. Th th this was a weighty moment in the disciples' lives. They're, they're learning some things. And for us here today, we're, we're learning some things or we're remembering some things about the Lord. And that's what we need to do as believers is, is to remember. Remember what he has already written. You got so many people out there running around trying to find new revelation from God and all we need to do is just remember what he's already said. We need to remember. And we just remembered one of the great stories found in scripture and there's just much more in it than what I've shared but may it bring great comfort and peace to you as you remember this this miracle from God everybody everybody stand up in the venue wants to stand and so Lord thank you God for our time here today and even this whole weekend it's it's just always good to come and fellowship and sing great music great sacred songs rooted in scripture. Thank you, Lord, for a chance to pray for the lost. I'm so grateful for uh, the, the Hmong church and reaching a group of people. I wouldn't even, I don't even know, I don't even know how to, I wouldn't know what to do. I'm glad we can help them and support them and be a blessing to them. Thank you, God, for your word. Give us a great afternoon now, Lord, and I pray these things in your name and all of God's people said. Amen. Okay, live for Christ, all right, everybody?